Hello, and welcome back to Now Screaming, episode 36. I'm Evan Culbertson. And I'm Liz Smart. And we're watching all the horror movies currently streaming on Netflix. So you don't have to. This week we're talking about the 2015 horror film, It Follows. 2015? Yes. I thought it was 2014. Well, that brings up the classic conversation of if something premieres at Cannes, does it count as its release date, oh. or does the year it comes out in theaters and everyone sees it count? I always count the year it comes out in theaters because I don't give a shit what How people do you at festivals. Know that all all I do is just look at the because you can look up the information. This information is available Fine. online. I just I'm going off of what it says on IMDb because that's what I'm like looking at when I'm doing this episode, and it says it follows 2014. It premiered at Cannes Film Festival in 2014. That's when Woody Allen Human saw it. Human beings saw it with their eyes in 2014. That's when Angelina Jolie saw it. The rest of us listing, mere mortals. You just listed like two of the most random people. I'm sure good people actually saw this movie also. Liz hates Angelina Jolie. This just is. <laughs> oh, that's the one you're going to focus on? Okay. That's, you know, whatever. This film was chosen by you. Yay. Thanks, viewers. In a Twitter poll we did that... Uh, about half of you decided yeah. it follows. Oh, was it the was. One to go. It was actually thrilling because obviously I was watching this like with popcorn, like yeah. you know, just like staring at the results. And everybody in the first like two days went for Hush, like it was overwhelming. Should we say what our options were? Oh yes, it was Hush. It follows the invitation and then other. Um, I'm really mad at everybody who voted for other and didn't tell me what else they wanted us to do. We had two awesome listeners who did uh, give us recommendations. And if we ever do those episodes, which I would actually probably like to, um, we'll, we'll shout them out. But a lot of people voted for other and didn't say anything. So this is a call out post to you guys. Yeah, guys, we can't um, we can't pick a, another movie if you don't tell us what it is. Yeah, and other got a lot of votes. There was a point where other was beating the invitation, which I think is really sad because I like the invitation. Yeah, many many little uh, you know. I hope it comes up on the roulette someday. I do too, because when we first watched it, we had a real good convo about it that should be on the podcast. Uh, but not this time. This time it's it follows. I would actually like to do Hush also. They were all movies that I wanted to do. But Hush was winning, and then It Follows had a real strong second wave, which I thought was pretty cool. The people have spoken, and so we're going to talk about this. Um, that in mind, before we even start talking about the movie, because we have plenty to say, uh, we're going to spoil it pretty extensively. But this is a movie that we highly recommend Absolutely. You should definitely go watch if you haven't already. I'm assuming a lot of people have seen it, because it was it's definitely considered... I mean, one half of, of our listeners voted yes, for it. Yes, uh, it's it's definitely considered one of the big, um, like horror like good, renaissance. Yeah, good yeah. horror movies of the past few years. I think there have been tons, but people who don't watch as much horror, I feel like feel like there's only been a couple. It's like this and the Babadook. People always talk about. Um, yeah, but yeah, I mean, I'm exci- I was excited to watch it again. I really liked it the first time, and I liked it just as much the second time. So it follows, which again, most of us saw in 2015. Was written- I was at Cannes Film Festival. <laughs> Just kidding, I was Well, aren't you special? <laughs> was written and directed by David Robert Mitchell. Uh, made it for $2 million, and it made $20 million. Again, this was kind of an indie nice. hit. Nice. This was low. It's, it, 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 it looks low budget. There's nothing. There aren't that many effects. I don't know. I think it looks real classy, but we'll get into that. I mean, I mean, more, we'll from, I mean more from the special effects. We'll talk side. about how good it looks. So this film follows a woman named Jay. Mm-hmm. Who is plagued by a? We're gonna we're gonna need to decide what we're gonna call it. Is it a demon? I like monster. Monster. I think okay. it's a monster. I think that like calling it a demon actually gives it too much like lore. Like oh, it's a demon who does it. No, it's like we have no idea what it is. It is it's a it. monster. It is. I don't want to call it it because Stephen there's another King's it. Yeah. <laughs> now the highest grossing horror film of all time. Apparently, right. we don't want to. Uh... I think it's a monster. I like calling it a monster. Okay. Who is pursued by a monster who is transmitted by having sexual intercourse with another human being. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are some complicated rules to that that I want to discuss later. Yeah. Because I don't... I'll be honest, I don't know that I entirely understand them. This was my second I under- time. I understood them better this time. This was my second time, time seeing the film. Mine, mine as well. It's okay. my second time. So we, we, we sat together for the first time? I think for so. Both of us? Years ago. That's cool. I didn't know that. <laughs> Irrelevant. Yeah. That's fun, though. I like when we both we both have an equal amount of seeing things. Sometimes you have a, a leg up on me. Right off the bat, I want to say that, like, again, I really, really like this movie. And me I think too. the thing that from the first shot really strikes me is that, and this is a very obvious comparison because it's true, it reminds me so much of John Carpenter films. Mm-hmm. And 
I was so glad we, we actually watched Halloween a few days ago for the, for the October. Beginning. Just the beginning for October. of October. Yeah, it was just like a real like perfect uh, month opener for um, the season of the spooky. And I was so glad that we watched it because it, it is so relevant um, for this movie. From I mean, the first shot you said it, like that neighborhood scene is like it's, you know, shot for shot from the beginning of Halloween. No, I totally agree. I mean, there's even there's a scene in here in when she's like in a classroom listening to her teacher read from Proof Rock. Yep. That's basically a like an homage to the scene in Halloween. Yeah, when she sees Michael standing outside. Yeah, yeah. that's when um, Jay sees the monster for yeah. the first time. Um, and the second time, technically, the first time she really understands what's going on. Sure. Uh, I think we've talked about the podcast before that I'm a huge John Carpenter stand. Yeah, like I just love him so much. And Halloween, the original Halloween is one of my favorite movies. So I think that, like, this is a movie that I was destined to like regardless because it is such an An homage homage to and, like, so inspired by the aesthetic and the direction of John Carpenter. Mm -hmm. The shots, the score. The score is is extremely, Incredibly, like, late 70s, early 80s horror movie score, specifically Halloween. The score is, like, really great, like, lush keyboard tones by um an artist called disaster piece mm-hmm. and i mean let's be honest it sounds uh the john carpenter composed a lot of the music for his his movies for the halloween theme is literally composed by john carpenter and it's a lot like that i mean mm-hmm. it's to be honest it's a lot like the wonderful theme song for this very podcast composed by <laughs> jonas Saleka. Ah, uh, yes it's uh, yes, yeah, it's like a lot of them because all the like um, it sounds kind of like Tubular Bells also. Yeah, any of those like, yeah, like it's, I mean, a, it's a very, very Stranger Things, you know. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which of course is also an homage. So uh, I love yeah the whole aesthetic of this movie being very um, late seventies, early eighties horror film is very very appealing. But I think the most important thing to me, just to continue for my point, is that like for me, it's not just that it like looks and sounds like a late 70s early 80s horror film to me it's it's so so much of the execution is like the older horror films that i love mm-hmm. um it's a very atmospheric horror and it's more subtle than even than like something else in this like little indie horror renaissance like the babadook or anything right. it's like it's like much more interested in establishing a tone and working in like this very slow tension yeah that i think that like there's regardless, so little gore. Regardless there's of so how, little. There's so little violence and in I was, general. And I was surprised by that when we were watching Halloween, because I'd only seen Halloween once long, long ago. And I, I said to you a bunch of times when we were watching Halloween, like, I can't believe that Michael Myers strangles people so much. Mm-hmm. And it, the, I mean, the reason it shocked me is because there's so little blood in that movie. And this is the exact same way. It actually starts off with just one very violent image. Yeah. And we don't see a lot of other ones, which I think is very interesting for a horror movie. It's not interested in a lot of, like shock value and there aren't a lot of jump scares either i agree and again even to compare it to i'm specifically comparing it to movies that i love that also i think are working in this both this genre and this space of like now indie horror films are getting funded and distributed by places like blumhouse mm-hmm. um but like things like the conjuring or the house of the devil uh or oculus even um or hush are going a little bigger than this. They're more interested in more exciting moments. Mm-hmm. There are not a lot of exciting moments in It Follows. No, it's slow. And it it 100% works because it knows that what it's trying to do is just build and release tension. Yeah. And like, I'm not trying to and say it that it's... terrifying. I'm not trying to say that It Follows is better than The Babadook or any of this. That's, it's just... It's, no, no. I mean, Hush is one of my favorite movies right. I've seen in the past few but years. But it's doing something so specifically deliberate and different that it is... Part of why it connects to it so greatly is because it is... It totally nails mm-hmm. this, like, execution of tone and style. And, I mean, I use deliberate. I really like, like, all the camera movements in this are so deliberate that I really think it, like, it nails it in a way that I don't think any of these other movies really, really do. Yeah, there's a really amazing shot I love. And I, I, I watched it twice because I think it's so cool. Um, and it doesn't do, there's no big scare. There's no big moment. It's just a shot. Is um, Jay and Greg... Uh, the one of the one of the boys that she ends up hanging out with, they go to the school to try to track down the guy yeah. who originally had sex with Jay, um, to try to get him to explain himself. And there's a shot of them walking into the school, and then the camera goes in, I think, two full circles. Yes, um, just like three sixty shots. Yeah, just yeah. two and two of them, two three sixty shots around 
the, the first one has them in it and then the second one you see them at the end of it but it is terrifying because it's like they're at that point where you as the viewer is looking in every single shot waiting for it the monster to show up because i know that that's that's a big part of this movie that i think is so amazing is um and it relates to the camera work is how many extras they have just to kind of fool you as a viewer just to be like is that the one is that is that person walking related to the story and that those 360 shots are so helpful for that because it puts you the viewer in this position of like where where is it where is the monster like is it coming are they safe 100% I think that like one of the most effective things about this movie is that like it 100% involves you in the like not just the like the horror but like the paranoia that that yes. Jay is living in mm-hmm. that like anyone who's walking towards the camera or anyone who's moving a little too slow in the background might be the monster and you mm-hmm. never know because ha- most of the characters in the movie can't see the monster right or it's behind Jay We should talk about we should talk about the monster but like yeah. the fact that the the viewer is enlisted in this paranoia and is like forced to be so on edge I think is so mm-hmm. effective Before before we get into the monster sorry I just wanted to say a couple more things about like I just think this is also this relates to what you're saying this is also just a very smart movie mm-hmm. This is the kind of movie that I love watching because it tells you I think right away that everything that you see is important and everything that you hear is important and every piece of the script is important. So, like, there's a lot of imagery in this movie and I loved being on the lookout for it. Yeah. There's a ton of flower imagery, um, which just we'll talk about, I am assume, later, like, relates to the story a lot. Um, and there is a lot in the script that feels super specific and important um, to what is going on. And I just, it, it's, I think that it makes it a really enjoyable movie to watch because there are movies that I watch for this podcast where you've said it before, like, I'm reading too into it. I'm trying to give yeah. things more credit than they deserve. And this movie earns what it, what it gets. And I think that that is, it's just such a relief to watch when you're like, that's, there's a point to that. That's important. And I love that. It just makes it so much, so joyful to watch. Absolutely. So the monster, as we said before, is, it follows you. Um mm-hmm. It Walks. shuffles. It shuffles along. It's like a George Romero zombie. I think it even. I, I don't even think there's a. It's a shuffle. It depends on who it is because I think that we you can see there's a little bit of like because it's a shapeshifter. It can be anyone. It can it be takes the form of people. Any, it's it's yeah. all human beings. Yes. Um, but some of them are. They just look like regular people. Some of them are related somehow to its victim, and some of them look uh, a little bit messed up. There's one specifically that like is meant to terrify. Yes. I guess two specifically that are meant to terrify her. Um, which is interesting, but it's like it's it's a choice on behalf of the of the monster, but it doesn't Ooh. speak ever. Yeah, so it doesn't talk. It moves whether it shuffles or just walks, it moves with the pace of a Romero zombie, which is this that it's always walking forward towards its target. Yes. But I think the thing that's so interesting about it is that it, it doesn't have a it doesn't do like a drag. It's not like moving towards you creepily slow. It is just walking. And I think that's another reason why it's so creepy to me, because it doesn't have this kind of like, I am a monster coming to get you. It's just a person walking at whatever that person's normal pace of walking would be, which I think is really is really mm. interesting. But yeah, it doesn't speak. Um, when it catches you, this is the other thing is, I'm not really clear about its motivations or what sort of the origins of this are, but when it catches you, the only time we see it is that it um, fucks you to death. Something like that. There's something psychosexual about it um, that I don't quite understand because actually the first victim that we see of it, it uh, it's a woman and it has bent her leg at this like terrifyingly yeah. impossible angle. And it it's super violent. Like I said, it's the only like real violent part of the movie beyond the ne- the only other time we see that the monster kills someone. Um, I, don't, I can't tell exactly like what is going on in that situation, no. but it is something sexual and... We don't really even know how he dies. Well, I think specifically the the mystery here isn't just, like, what it does to kill you, but, like, the monster's motivations are extremely unclear. I think that, like, particularly in the scope of this podcast, we have talked a lot about much clearer situations than this. Oh, yeah, religion Um, and, you know. Even something like, I mean, even, like, I guess in the original Halloween, you don't really know why Michael Myers is doing what he's doing, but it... It's, it's probably it's mental illness. Sure. But in this, like, we don't know why this is this monster is a curse that is sexually transmitted. We don't know why 
it chooses to take the physical forms that it does. Mm-hmm. We don't know why it decides to change between we don't physical even, yeah, forms. Yeah, we don't even know if he even has any awareness of doing that or whether it's it, whether involuntary. It knows, whether it knows why it's doing what it's doing. Yes. Because it's, I mean, we're calling it a monster. This this thing that's passed is more of a curse. Um, yes, but the physical being that has, sure. it, it, that's the interesting thing that's also is that people can't see it who are not affected by it, and but they can touch it. It has a physical Which is form. always a very complicated thing with things that are invisible. Is like, is it invisible or is it spectral? And this is, it's invisible. It can be touched by people who are not affected. It can be hurt by people who are not affected. It can run into um, glass bottles to Objects. make noise. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it has to break into houses. That's the thing that's so interesting is it can't... Walk it through a door. Yeah, it doesn't walk through doors. It doesn't magically appear. It is humanoid in that it literally has to walk to where it's going it doesn't drive it doesn't fly uh it doesn't reappear and then doesn't teleport you know, no it literally has to walk up to your door break it down break a window whatever to get to you which i find like so enthralling i mean it knocks on a door at one point which is right yeah 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 interesting i don't know let's talk about the rules also i think that like yeah, let's talk about the rules. But I think like the most curious thing, and we're not going to come up with an answer on this podcast no. for like why no. the movie is not really interested in exploring that. Mm-mm. But you're right; it's not spectral, and it's it it thinks, it reasons, and yeah. makes decisions. It's not an automaton. Yes. So like that's it very is very true. curious to me why it's doing what it's doing, why it follows the targets that it's following mm-hmm. what causes it to pivot other than like the correlation causation thing of like yeah it just when, knows it just when you, knows when you have too. sex with someone it knows yeah. it doesn't have to see you doing it it just knows right and it um th- they mention it literally only one time and it's so vague so it doesn't actually even mean anything but uh when she talks to what's his name jeff about it uh when she talks to him about it who by the way is the the first person she has sex the person she contracts the curse from yeah yeah the person who passes it on to her uh he says something like and on and on back to whoever first started it. And that's the only... That's it for Origin. That's the only even mention that how that this has been going on for a long time. Because well, Jeff doesn't know. Oh, no. Yeah. Nobody knows? Presumably, like... I mean, my guess is that this has gone on for a very long time. Like, I'm imagining this has been a v- super long. And we don't know how many times... This is a good time to get into the rules. But it, it, we don't know how many times it's doubled back. Yeah, so let's talk about how it works. So, um, towards the beginning of the movie, so really what the movie does is it sets up this world, and it sets up Jay and sort of her life, life. and then it gives us the rules by way of, I and mean, we don't want to do much plot recap, but like, literally Hugh forces this on her. Mm-hmm. Um, Ties her up so she has to listen Not to sexually, him. he doesn't rape her. Um, we will talk about that. And, like, but like, has sex with her, gives her this curse explains to her and then like drops her off at home saying yes. you know don't ne- let it touch you don't want to touch yeah. you go have sex with someone else so you pass it on yes. so so you've got person a b and c person so let's just say person a has it um they have sex with person b person b and then at that point when it's person a and person b both of them can see the monster but it is only following person b so then person b has to have sex with person c to get it to leave person A alone completely. Then person A is like, can't see it. It's not following them. It's over for them. Uh, so then person B and C can see it. And then person C has to move it on past them so that it will, they will free person B. The twist on that is that if person C is killed... By the monster. They, before, by the monster before they can pass it on, uh, it will double back on person B and then on person A and so forth if no one succeeds in passing it on. Just while we're talking about the rules, I just want to say real quick, I think that the way the movie gives us this information is brilliant because Jeff gives us an explanation that is not super clear. He says, I'm not free of it. I had sex with you and I'm not free. You need to pass it on. So I'm free. And we don't know. I mean, my first time, especially watching this is like, is there two monsters now? Is he being pursued? Yes. Um, Because he can see it. We know that he and both her, they they both see the woman. They can both see it. We know that. But the way the movie gives it to us is it's coming after she has sex with Greg and it's coming after Greg and Jay, I said, she is Jay. Yeah. Uh, Jay goes after Greg to see like, Oh, here's this monster. And it ignores her because yes. it's in pursuing, it's pursuing Greg yes. kills Greg and then starts coming after her again. Mm-hmm. But like it is through Jay's reasoning. The movie doesn't ever explicitly give us the exposition of this ABC thing that you just laid Does out. Is it not when they go visit uh, Jeff? No. I mean, there's an explanation, but Jeff doesn't totally understand it, right? Right, right, right. So, right. like, 
I think I actually I give credit to the movie for not needing to spell it out for us that like once this person dies it comes back to person B mm-hmm. and it's again yes we just know that you're right yeah so I think that, like this movie deserves a lot of credit for I mean you said smart earlier I think that like this movie really doesn't dump things down for its viewer. It expects you to follow along and to be figuring this out at the pace that Jay is. Yes. Which is also, that's always so great when you're protagonist, when you're learning along with the protagonist. Um, I absolutely prefer it. And it doesn't dump it down for you. Like it doesn't, he doesn't no. need a character to no. just sit there and exposit. No. And especially that like the one time we have that, which I believe is necessary because the thing that you can't do ever. Jeff's explanation. Yes. Yeah. Jeff's explanation to her, uh, we are, again, in the same boat as her in that he has tied her up after chloroforming her. So she's terrified. Of like, course. she's not really listening. Because why would you, right? Like, why would right. you listen to this man who you trusted and then he did this to you? Um, but So we are in that boat with her of just like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, why would I even listen to a single word you say? Uh, and then you have to learn it with her as it goes forward. Yeah. I think it's I think it's really, really well executed and it's... I keep using the word deliberate. It's just, it's plotted out so well. I don't know if that's all in the script or if they just storyboarded this so well that like they knew that they didn't have to hold the viewer's hand, but that they were going to do out information in a way that allows us to put it together. But mm-hmm. especially on the second viewing, I really appreciated the way that like, this is a smart movie that keeps a very even pace, um, mm-hmm. spends a lot of contemplative moments like with its characters, just sort of fleshing out their lives and like fleshing out their moods. As well as just, like, honestly, like, there's a lot of, like, pretty ambient shots where we're just, like, yes. we're just establishing mood. We're just, like, living in this world, mm-hmm. and we have a long, either a tracking shot or a slow zoom on a relatively innocuous event. And mm-hmm. it doesn't need to just, like, give us, like, information that a, I'm gonna say it, that a lesser horror movie would just, like, have jump out at us or just, mm-hmm. like, lay out on the table, like, oh... Well, in the, Here's ex- all the, information. the exposition, uh, I, this was, I was going to say earlier, the exposition is necessary uh, in a way that it isn't always in horror movies. There's times, definitely, we've talked about some lives before, like, someone will do an expository dump, and it's so, it doesn't fit in the world at all. It right. doesn't make any sense. Um, but the thing about this movie and the plot and the rules that we just talked about well, are that, like, there has to be an explanation because the person, person A packs on a person B... They cannot, for their own sake, just just do it. Right. Like, they have to give that person a sense of, like, if you see someone walking towards you, run away from them. Otherwise, it, it'll, it'll come, come back, back to, to them. them. Yeah. So, like, I think that that makes exposition in this movie incredibly necessary when it happens. And the movie doesn't this doesn't overdo it. It doesn't ever give you Absolutely. more than you need. But it, it is... It relies on only exposition that is, like, fully necessary, which is rare. And I think that's really cool. The thing I really want to get into with this movie is that I really love, um, like, metaphorical horror movies. Yeah. We probably talked about it when we talked about The Babadook, because I absolutely love that um, that movie is, like, a whole kind of metaphor for grief. And The Sixth Sense is one of my favorite movies, and it, like, doubled in intensity for me when I really thought about it being about mental illness. So, watching this movie the first time, I absolutely felt like I tried to assign some kind of meaning to it. But I want to say right away that we're about to talk about kind of the quote-unquote meaning and I think it's really important to say that this movie does not fit into any, like, really tight metaphor, which I like. I, I, I don't want it to. But I think that it's important because I think that this movie has a reputation as, like, the STD movie. And I think that that's, like, pretty bullshit. Uh, it's, it has so little to do with STDs at all. Only the, like this passes from person to person through sexual, you know, Congress. But, like, other than that, there's just nothing that makes it about STDs, and it bothers me that, like, it has that reputation. I fully agree. And I think that, like, before we get into the specifics of what this movie is doing and saying and exploring, um, I would literally sum it up as this movie has so much information and is so rich with... um, potential readings and metaphors plural but like this movie is not a puzzle to be solved no and i think that a lot of people in 2015 when this was sort of getting a lot of hype uh viewed it as something that they were trying to unlock or like this is about stds it's not about stds it's about x or y or like there there was so, Mm -hmm. so much conversation around like what it follows is about and i think that's super reductive because 
I'll quote myself again. It's not a puzzle. Like, you're not trying and, to uncover what the, like, secret hidden metaphor of that, what the monster means. Yeah, and that that whole concept also, like, it's it doesn't, it doesn't work with something like this because the idea of this movie, the rules that we just talked about are that this monster can be... It can be given away. It can You can rid yourself of seeing it and it following you. And I think that, like, to try to compare that to something that happens in real life is, like, does it a dis- does the creativity of this movie a disservice and also does, like, life a disservice? Because yeah. the world and feelings and things like that are so much more complicated than that anyway that it just, it, it it's incredibly reductive what you just said. I mean, like, I hate the concept of anybody trying to put this movie in a box that way. Honestly, the, the again, there are a lot of metaphors here and there's a lot of, like, balls in the air as far as, like, what it's exploring. Because it's exploring, like, sexual transmission. Yes. And it's interested in sex... Uh, I actually want to talk about that in a second, but, like, I think the thing that fits best for me, and again, it's not a one-to-one, but, mm-hmm. like, it is very interested in talking about mortality and impending mortality. Mm-hmm. There's a, um, the friend, Yara is her name? Yes. Is reading uh, Dostoevsky's The Idiot the whole time, and I think the last dialogue of the movie is her it quoting is. The Idiot, and it's about, like, death coming and that being like the greatest fear is that you'll no longer be alive and us having to grapple with this mm-hmm. like happening at whatever moment. But like, even that's not a, that's not a wonder. That's like the movie isn't about mortality, but no, I think it's that, not like, a metaphor for death. Exactly. Or like death coming for you. Yeah. But it's interested in asking the question of, you know, we're all dying, you know, yeah. death is coming and for you. How does this remind you of that? How does this explore the and feeling And you're never of that? free of it. Right. You can't, there's a there's a there's a concept in there somewhere of like once you get rid of this monster, uh, you have sex with enough people and those people have sex with enough people that you can get kind of comfortable within yourself of like, I think it's far enough away from me that I can chill, but you can't really because you don't you, know you never know if it's gonna come back to you so you still have to be on the lookout and that is and guess what it doesn't matter you're gonna die anyway yes like you're not gonna be At killed by this point, monster right, but right, you're gonna right. die anyway you're gonna, exactly and I think that's the thing is like if there's any metaphorical sense of that like. You do have to be thoughtful of your life because you could die at any moment. (laughs) Like, that's true. So um, the other thing that I would mention that I think is present in this movie, uh, and it was maybe more present to me this time because I actually read an article about it a week or so ago about somebody being like, this isn't about STDs, it's about X, which I don't approve of, we just discussed. (laughs) But but I found a lot of relevant points in this, which is about it being um, really having something to say about sexual assault. Um, and I think that it's important uh, for both of us to clarify right away that, like, there is no, like, rape in this movie or sexual assault. Uh, there's a there's an issue of consent that we'll get into, but, like... Consent, but, like, not um, nothing, sexual consent. Nothing graphic. And honestly, I think that, like, the... That's really important to me. I think we should I agree. dwell on this for one moment. That this is a movie about uh, sexual sexual dread and anxiety surrounding, like, sex... That does not feature rape and doesn't feature gratuitous nudity. No, um, no. I think that's like actually it no, deserves a lot of commendation. I feel the same way. The fact that I watch this movie and I can feel the anxieties about what they're doing, but never have to watch like a gratuitous rape scene, is very important to me. Yeah, it would have been so easy for this to be a worse movie where everybody just goes around and rapes each other to get this monster off their back. Like that could have been this movie. That's not reductive, but like I mean, again, there's a, there's the moment where. Uh, Jay and Jeff slash Hugh have sex in the back of the car mm-hmm. uh, and she's like talking about holding what... hands with boys yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, and he like climbs on top of her and chloroforms her and it's honestly the most terrifying part of this movie because it's, yeah. it's familiar it feels like yes. the fucking monsters in real life who like do yes, this to women this and it's horrifying Absolutely. but like he's doing it because he knows that he can't just explain he this to her. He can't just tell her, yeah. He's extremely he, misguided. He shouldn't do it. But right. his, his he, motives aren't, like, to harm sexual. her. Sexual, no. They're, they're, not, they're not just no. sexual. They're not even malicious. No. Like... It's the only issue, and I think this is relevant because it does come up with how she handles it, is that it's the issue of consent, right? It's the issue of, like, did he just have sex with her to get this monster off of him? He was manipulating her in that way. He wasn't truly interested in her, and that is not... I don't want to throw that away. I don't want to make it seem like the two of them had this beautiful romance and then it consummated and then and then everything went to hell. Like, he was manipulating her from the beginning and that sucks, but it's not a gratuitous rape scene it and is, I think that's important. You're 100% right that it is complicated and that uh, you could ask the question, like, 
she doesn't know what she was in for. So, like, was she... Consenting. Was her consent valid? Yeah. But, like, she was consenting to have sex with him. And yes. that is... That's the important part that's different. Oh, because somebody also did it to him. That's the right. other part. Is It's not like he's some guy who's like, haha, I brought this on myself, and now I'm going to do this to you. He was also a victim of this with a person who gave it to him. But that, and that's also important. But that additional layer of consent is 100% like present and important. Because, again, I'm not... I don't want to come across like I'm dismissing that. It's it's just, it's complex. Yes. It's like a second level of consent that needs to be had. Yes. But the reason that I think that it's, you're right, that it's particularly noteworthy in this is that both of the people that she passes it on to are like fully aware. Yes. Uh, Greg yes. doesn't believe her, but Greg is aware that like she believes that having sex with someone will transmit it. Yes. He has sex with her and then is like, see, nothing happened. I've been looking yes. for it. I'm yes. telling you but nothing's happening. she didn't happening. manipulate him at, at, all, at she, all. He wanted to have sex with her. He was actually very understanding and is like, he's actually very sympathetic to her and is like, hey, I'm trying to help you with this. I don't believe you oh, because... Oh, he totally... I mean, they, yeah. he, takes, he takes them to her, the, his house 100%. to get away. Like, he's a very helpful But character. because Jay makes sure that the two people she has sex with, she's not just trying to get rid of it. The two people she has sex with, she is... They're, they're aware of the situation. They've been involved in mm-hmm. protecting her. Like... That is a stark difference from Jeff's handling of the situation. Yes. And the movie knows that Jeff's handling of the situation is wrong. Yes, it does. Uh, absolutely. And but this is what I want to get into is that, like, I think that the reason the movie has a larger feeling about this is the way that she is treated by her family, her friends, the neighbors, anybody. About sexual assault, you mean? Yes. About yeah. se- sorry, about sexual assault. Um, the, re- the way that she's treated in the aftermath and the way that she behaves in the aftermath is so specifically loaded with sexual assault. Like, but not feeling believed and about feeling yes, dirty and well, stuff. Yes, she, well, she talks to the cops and they're like, so it was consensual. They're like kind of asking her questions. And then from from across the street, Greg and his mom are watching this happen. And uh, his mom says something like, oh, those people are a mess. And then her just kind of having to get back to her normal life. And, uh, but feeling really like looked at. And there's this, there's this feeling like throughout the whole movie of like if a woman is sexually assaulted or raped and then goes out into the world, there is that paranoia of like, I mean, I wrote down this quote when he says this to her, it could look like anybody. And that is something that is very loaded. I feel like about sexual abuse and rape is that like women go out into the world and anybody who is looking at you funny or walking towards you at a, in a way that appears, you know, frightening or unusual is it's like, it could be potentially a sexual thing. And I think that that is being part of this movie. And also, like you said, her friends and her family being like, what's going on with you? Like, are you okay? Not believing her, wanting to believe her, but not. Honestly, not even sexual though. Like women are murdered by men for non-sexual right, reasons. Just absolutely, because very true. men like to murder women. Yes, like, <laughs> no, no, no. Very, va- very, very valid. But I think it, that, but I think I there's, no, I there's a sexual like, undertone. There is, there is, there's something on there. Again, like, we're tossing out all this meaning, like, we're over-determining this on purpose because, I mean, like, David Mitchell, the director, has even said that, like, it's not about one thing, right? Like, No. It's... I'm not trying to say that this is about one thing. I think that that's important. I... But I think that it has to be about sexual assault because so much of it is so loaded that way. Oh, I, I 100% right. agree. Just, I just think that it's about sexual assault and yes, many other things. And and death and like so many things. And so there's it just and childhood and gentrification and like all of these yes, other like yes, very true. Uh, it just doesn't fit into a box. Um, I mean, there's also an element of this movie that is like super surreal that I want to talk about, um, which is an extra layer on top of a layer that we've already discussed. So it, this movie is not about one thing. It's about yeah. many, many, many things. But I found it, my second viewing, uh, I found it, to, I all of those little things jumped out at me as being, her story being very much about, like, um, somebody who has been wronged sexually uh, and is facing backlash from it because of that. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Just to sort of uh, springboard off this conversation, I am really interested in the way that this movie handles sex, both because of what we talked about before, that, like, there there's not gratuitous rape scenes, there's not gratuitous nudity. Um, Jay is a character with a lot of sexual agency. Uh, she's had sex before this movie, mm-hmm. uh, and she will go on to have sex after it. Okay. And um, the, the sexual experiences that are in this movie are not caught up in negative feelings. At least, like, I don't think that this movie is, like... It's neither prudish about sex and, like, thinks that sex is a problem, nor is it, like, I don't know, 
I don't know that it's empowering or that that's what it's like intentionally trying to explore. Uh, but I think the most interesting thing about this curse is both that like sex is damning and sex is liberating. Mm-hmm. That like the way that you incur the curse is through sex. Uh, presumably, ideally, consensual sex with someone you want to be having sex with. Mm-hmm. Um and then the way that you pass it on is through sex. It's the only way that you can get off, like, get the curse off your back is by inflicting it on someone else. Mm-hmm. And the fact that both these things are sexually transmitted, I don't have an answer for what it means. Right, but it may I, not mean anything. Right, but I find it extremely interesting that, like, sex is both this, like, this... Sex is the way that you get the curse, and it's also the way that you liberate yourself. And But you I liberate think, yourself by damning someone else, which exactly. is really complicated. And, like, the guilt caught up in that. I think mm-hmm. it's, like, it's really complicated, and it's... It's really complicated and it's really interesting and I'm glad that there's this like it's messy. I mean the way that like sexual politics are messy and that like negotiating relationships are messy and I I'm really glad that this movie Yeah, I mean wouldn't it be boring if this movie wanted to say one thing about sex? Oh. Sex is bad. Okay, thank you. So like... many so many <laughs> right. movies do horror yes. movies and uh, like regular old movies. Dramas and yeah. comedies and stuff. But like this is it's messy and it's unclear and we don't know like Jay likes to have sex. And Jay is free to have sex. And but like, there's a very interesting part that I it, it piqued me this time because I was it, it confused me about again what the movie was saying, which I, I'm realizing like it doesn't have to be saying anything. There's a really interesting moment when she and Paul have sex, and they're sitting on the floor after they've done it, and she looks, he looks at her and says, "Do you feel any different?" And she looks at him and says, "No." Do you? And he says, "No." And I think that like I mean, they're talking about the monster. They're talking about like, do you feel like you've been rid of it? Kind of conversation. But that is very first time language. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Which is super interesting because, again, she's not a virgin. It's not even like, oh, she just had sex with these two people and it was really traumatic both times because it was about a monster. Like, no, she had sex with um, Greg, in high, Greg in high school. And her attitude towards it would suggest that, like, she's very comfortable with her sexuality, right? right? Like, She wasn't even really fully into uh, Hugh when she had sex with him. Her sister says, like, are you going to do it? And she's like, eh. And then she does. So it's not even like it was something that she was like, I can't wait to have my first sexual experience. She kind of just views it as like what she does when she's in this kind of relationship, which is fine. And but her relationship with Paul in that moment is so like it's new for both of them, which I, I just found really like I didn't know how that fit into the whole which I like, you know? I will say, I think that what you're getting at is maybe one of the couple of things I don't like about this movie, mm-hmm. which is that I feel like it is interested in a romance subplot that I, I don't agree. I yeah. don't think there's room for the Paul likes Jay and it's complicated thing. Like, I agree. I'm not upset that it's in here, but I think that it distracts from what's going on. I think uh, the reason it's necessary necessary you say i think it's necessary because interesting this is i'll explain why because i specifically wrote this down uh because it's very important to me and i find it very interesting it's one of my favorite kind of metaphorical aspects of this movie is the way what i what i said earlier about you can pass this on and you it can be years so you could you could really feel like it had really gotten away from you but it doesn't matter because it could come back down the line and get you you could be on your deathbed and it's going to come up and strangle you or something. Like, I don't know. Like, it, it could happen. It, you know, you never really fully get rid of it. And I think that that's kind of like trauma in a way. You know? Yeah. You can, you can move on from trauma and it can be years, but you never know when it's going to come back to you and hit you. And I think that her engaging in a seemingly, like, innocent, simple childhood romance, which is what her relationship is with Paul. They were each other's first kiss. Yeah. She says in the car, like, I just have this, you know, uh, this dream of just, like, sitting in a car with a cute boy holding hands. That's her dream. It's not even sexual. It's just, like, that's what she's always envisioned for herself is, like, just this very innocent form of dating. Which, let's be totally frank, it's like this 50s suburban fantasy. That yes, like, yes, know. yes, yes. And so the end of the movie, the last shot of the movie, is her and Paul holding hands walking down the street together. And a potential, we don't know if it's actually the monster, walking behind them. Someone's walking slowly Someone's behind walking, them. But we, it could be a person, we don't know. And I think that that, to me, it doesn't have to be saying anything, again, like, I don't want to say, like, it's, that equals this. But, like, the thought to me was just that, like, this is her trying to reclaim romance for herself. Absolutely. Um, and that it, the monster, could always be kind of like lurking behind them, but they have to move on. They have to, they have to 
move on with their lives, even if the monster is literally walking 30 feet behind them, they have to try to continue to be happy and be together. And I think that that, like, I agree with you. I don't, what I don't like about this movie is the, like, she kind of, it's got a little bit of a nice guy vibe to it. Yeah. Where she has sex with the the hot, cool guys first and then, like, works her way down to him because he's just, like, begging for it, you know? Uh, they make fun of him the whole time about how much he likes her and a ha- and he's so clearly pursuing her and resents her having sex with other people. I don't love that. But I don't mind the concept of her moving on with somebody who really likes her and so they can have like a less of a traumatic experience together. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I think the other big thing that I know you and I have talked about before when we first watched this is... I think another of this movie's great strengths, which is that it is sort of out of time. It is... Oh, completely. It's so cool. It does not take place in any given time period. It's set in Detroit, and the movie tells it's in Detroit, but it could take place in any suburb, anywhere. Yeah. I mean, it's it's so, like, like, universal. It has the 70s vibe to it. Her house is very 70s. The houses are very 70s and 80s. Not just just 70s. Like, the... Their, their TV sets are like rabbit ear TV sets look yeah, out of the 50s. the cars look like... Their decor is very 70s. Mm-hmm. They go to an old-timey movie theater. They do. They don't use... There's a cell phone in the very beginning, but they don't use them very much after that. And then my favorite, my absolute favorite uh, component of this movie, which is... What's her name? The friend? Yara. Yara's shell. She has this shell that is an ebook. It looks like a shell compact mirror. It opens, it has two, like, screens on it, and she can read books on it. She's reading The Idiot on it. She's, she's scrolling through it. It has a touch screen, and it's a shell. And it has a light, too, because she uses it at one point to light yeah. things. She's the only one who has one of these things. She is, like, no one thinks it's weird, but it, it's so strange. It is the weirdest little technological advancement that nothing else in this movie has at it all. seems it seems specifically futuristic whereas i mean there's modern cars in this in addition to the 70s cars yes but like some station wagons again it's just it's so all over the place and then like this like, seems so like there's an electric typewriter in the pool scene there's no yeah. computers there's just an electric typewriter yeah and then there's oh. like this thing that looks like it's out of black mirror with this like little like piece of tech yeah so i mean that's it's... our purpose so david mitchell i have a quote about this from the director mm-hmm. david mitchell um, saying there are production design elements from the 50s up to modern day. A lot of it's from the 70s and 80s. That e-reader cell phone or shell phone you're talking about is not a real device. It's a 60s shell compact that we turned into a cell phone e-reader. So I wanted modern things, but if you show a specific smartphone, it dates it. It's too real for the movie. Mm-hmm. It would bother me anyway. So we made one up. And all that's really just to create the effect of a dream, <laughs> to place it outside of time, and to make people wonder about where they are. Those are things that I think happen to us when we're in a dream. So I love that so much. The intended effect is for this to be dreamy. And like I think especially watching this, not only is it like dreamlike, the the adjective that came to mind is that it's like almost impressionistic. The way that people's mm-hmm. like people in the background are like like fuzzy and fading into the background. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes we'll focus focus on something specific. And because the movie is so interested in like mood and tone, that this feel felt like a very impressionistic thing to me. And like it's trying to make you feel like you're in this dreamy world in which, like, you don't know where you're oriented. You don't have any, like, one thing to grab onto. And I think it, like, it ties into 100% what we're saying about meanings and about mm-hmm. how you cannot chain this to one metaphorical definition. Yes. Is because it's it's exploring a lot of things. And I think it's trying to keep you off-center and not let you get your feet in one like, right, because I wanted that in the beginning, right? When I first time I watched this, I wanted that shell to mean something. I wanted it to be like, it represents, I don't know, the beach somehow, ocean. I don't know. Like, I wanted, it, I wanted to find some metaphorical meaning, but realizing that it was just, it's just to make you feel like you don't know where you are or when you are is so cool and intriguing and it does bother me that there are modern cell phones in movies like whenever i watch scream 4 and when um kirby's on the phone you can see that it has the she has the world as the background and there was a specific time in my life when people had iphones like newer iphones and everybody had the world as the background like that or it would pop it would pop up when someone called you and everybody has that specific ringtone whenever that ringtone is in movies i'm like all right that's 2009 i can like date it you know 
completely. And that annoys me. Whenever I see like a specific iPhone or this is the kind of chat that they're using or whatever, it's so distracting. And them choosing to do this in the movie is like a relief. It is so great because I hate, I would hate this movie to feel dated in any way. So I think the fact that like not only did they think of this and they specifically go out of their way to make sure that wasn't happening that they invented a new piece of tech out of a 60s compact mirror and then made it into an e-reader mm-hmm. is brilliant and the fact that that's it's one detail they picked yeah they one don't all thing. have shell readers the, the first time that you and i watched this i specifically remember us being like what the fuck what is that like, <laughs> i think i understand this movie but like why is there this one detail that sticks <laughs> out and i think that's 100 percent intentional especially in the second viewing yeah. is that like all it needs is this little this little drop of a prop in this world, this prop that is used four times in the movie mm-hmm. to make us like question What's this, this reality. Yeah. And I think that that's brilliant because nobody talks about the e-reader. Yeah. She reads like the book off of it. Like, she nobody... says, she sees her and she says, what are you reading? That's like it. Yeah, but they don't address it. And the fact that like, I mean, it's the, the drop in a bucket like causes us to be like, what is happening? Yeah. Is incredible. Because otherwise we'd be like, oh, maybe it's the 70s, but they don't have their like art design completely, that being futuristic rather than everything else being kind of of the past or modern is so cool. It's amazing. It works so well. I want to talk about one more thing that is related to the script. Okay. Um, It's very small, but it's what I was talking about earlier about like everything having a meaning, not in a, not in a concrete way, but everything, everything you see being important and everything you hear being important. I really like the game that um, Hugh and Jay play at the movie theater. It's only in this one scene, but it feels very specific. Can you explain it? It is, uh, it's called the Trading Lives Game. Uh, Jay brings it up, she and her sister play it. And you pick someone in the crowd, you have to play with two people, pick someone in the crowd, and you, uh, to trade places, who you would trade lives with. And then the other person has to guess who it is and why. And they're just playing this game, it's very silly, it leads to a great moment of... Hugh trying to point out a person and it being the monster and Jay not being able to see it, which is like a really cool, uh, frightening moment. Um, I think it was actually in the trailer, just because that's how good it is. It's like a selling point of this movie. <laughs> but um, it's so cool to me because it feels very specific about what this movie is, which is like about trading lives with someone. Yeah. How like this, that you pass on this monster to someone, that is the person you've chose to take away because if you that's the thing about trading lives is you're you would be getting someone else's life but they're also getting your life they're getting your woes like he chooses a child and it's like his whole thing is like oh wouldn't i love to like you know be free of my problems and the problems of life and adulthood which of course like knowing what we know about him being haunted it makes perfect sense he'd want to kind of go back to that innocent time right but what you don't talk about when you talk about trading lives with someone is that you'd be giving that little child your life and so what do you do, what what he's doing to Jay, by giving her the monster, he's trading his life with her. And I just think that that's such a great detail in this movie of, like, it's just this silly game they're playing, but it has so much relevance to the story. And, like, resonance with, like, the guilt and complicated, like, transaction that's taking place. Yes, yeah. yes, the trading. And I think that is just, I just, it makes me love this script. I just think it's all... Everything they say is important, and everything they say is loaded somehow, and I just think that it's, it's just fantastic. It's I think it's why it's fun to watch over and over again, because you just pick up on new things. Absolutely. So I want to ask you a question. It's I love questions. It's my favorite question to ask with horror movies like this, where there's a monster that everyone kind of has to get rid of in a creative way. And I'll say that uh, their method of getting rid of this monster is idiotic. I think it's real stupid. They try to lure it into a pool... And then electrocute it. Doesn't end up working. The monster's too smart. Uh, it tr- it tries to electrocute her first, or just knock her out. It's a very it's, it was a very bad play at the beginning. I don't know why they did it, um, but they're not off base in what I would do. But I want to know what you would do if somebody did this to you. Um, what would you do to either, you know, get rid of it, or how would you morally pass it on? Morally is complicated. <laughs> yeah. It is. Uh... <laughs> I would try to pass it on. I wouldn't try to beat it. I'm not convinced that they do beat it. No. Um, Because, I mean, like they shoot it at the head, but, like, 
there's no reason to think that stops no, it. No. Uh, and there's no reason to not think the thing at the end is the is following them. But like, I think it absolutely is. I don't think they get rid of it at all. Yeah. So I I just like I don't think that there is a way to get out of it. You can only do for yourself. Like, give yourself a little more time, maybe, mm-hmm. and try to. Because equi- passing on doesn't get rid of it either. You just try- be giving yourself more time. Try to equip someone else in order to get this away for both of you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think you can beat it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be trying to beat it. I think that like, I'm glad that they tried to, to do that, but I think it's a fool's errand. Whatever this is, I mean, I would probably try to figure out more about what it is, but like, uh, this, this you have, you have a library scene of you like paging right. through like, <laughs> this movie doesn't try to explore the backstory, but like, yeah. I would want to know more about what it is because I, I don't think I could beat it. I think it's ancient and it's evil and it's going to kill me. So I want to try to get it far away from me as possible. I know that's cynical. And I know that's not no, satisfying, no, no. but I get it. Cause I think that what I, my, my first thought watching this, the way that I, what I thought you could do was like, be a little bit more scientific about it. And fly somewhere far away and see how long it takes it to get to you. Because I we don't know how it goes through water. Right. If it has to take a boat or if it can walk because it probably doesn't breathe. Um, I'm sure it doesn't breathe, so. Right. So it could like, probably so walk on the bottom of the ocean. It could walk on the bottom of the ocean. Um, Spiker and Sponge style from James and the Night Peach. So it takes them just a couple weeks to get there. Um, so that's, that's an option. And then, and then you can see that. And then you have to figure out a way to always be, like, a few weeks ahead of it in some way. And it's not a great life, but it's, like, it's what you've, you know... If you have the money to jet set... Well, no, but because you can also... You could do it by driving. You could drive... If you have the money for gas, you don't need a job. You just, like, drive around the country. Come on. Like... You have to work it out for yourself. That's what I'm saying. It's, it's not it's, practical. It's not practical, but that's that's that was my first thought. My new thought watching it is that I feel like they weren't far off in their desire to trap it because... It's going to be wherever you are, and it seems to have a good sense of that. So what you would need to do is, like, lure it to a warehouse or something and then drop something on it, like a cage, and then bury it with a cement mixer. That's smart. So that's what I would do. That's that's my thought, is that, like, I don't know... Here's the question, is we don't know the limits of its strength. It that's, br- no, that's I, that's what I was going to say, is, like, it could, if you if you gave it, like, probably four or five, like, locked its hands, locked its body, put it in a box, locked that box, put that box in another box, locked that box with different kinds of locks, um, welded it, you know, like, did, did some serious stuff on it, and then put that in a, like, in, in the ground with cement around it, it obviously is going to break out at some point. Like, I'm not I'm not saying that this is going to, like, get rid of the problem forever. And it's the same thing that I said. Like, you have to be looking over your shoulder for the rest of your life. You can't... You can never rid yourself of that. I'm honestly just imagining the end of season three of Angel where they just, like, put him in a coffin at the bottom of the sea. Yeah. Like, I mean, literally like, just, like... I mean, like, that's what Trap you do it sometimes. there in perpetuity, just, like, existing. Things that are immortal, that's what you do with them. You can't kill them. And, like, I think it's idiotic of them that they tried to, like, oh... It gets up when you shoot it, but we can electrocute it. Like, no, that's no, you can't. You were never gonna like incapacitate. It was a dumb plan. It's a real dumb plan. plan. So, like, I mean, they could have even. They never even tried to do anything where you trap it. Like, put it in a car and drive it into the water. You know what I mean? Like, do something where it's gonna take a few days to get out of it instead of it just like they constantly were just driving away from it. Just days? I feel like that's not. I don't know. Well, no. I mean, my plan is you bury it in cement. And that obviously takes, like, it would probably take at least months, right? To break itself out of, like, several boxes and then claw its way out of cement. What's the question? Is it if it even can? It doesn't have superhuman strength, does it? We don't know. The way that it, like, um, throws... What's his name? Kier uh Paul. Paul. Uh, throws him. Like, that's more than people can throw people. Yeah, but is it strong enough to, like crack through cement as a question again it's a it's a question of resources right like how do you get the warehouse how do you get the cement mixer etc well they were just wandering all kinds of abandoned places so it seems like it's pretty easy in detroit speaking of that's a good transition to unfortunately where i want to i guess wrap up which is the only other criticism i have of this movie um and unfortunately it's not going to provoke a bigger conversation but like this is a movie set in detroit uh, that is exclusively white. Every person in this movie is white. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The director is white and the director is from Detroit. I think that's part of why it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, the movie even like hints at a little bit. There's a conversation about how 
they weren't supposed to go south of eight mile and they didn't even know what that meant they didn't even understand like what going into like the inner city i guess is what they're implying because mm-hmm. south of eight mile would be like into detroit um let's say that like the the, the place where the city and the, the city begins yeah. The ends. yeah so like i think that it's it's aware of it, but it doesn't engage with it. It's one of these many balls that is being juggled in the air. Yeah. That like I feel like doesn't get enough attention of like this question of I mean Detroit is a city I don't know, we'll move on. But like Detroit is a city particularly affected by white flight to the suburbs from the inner city. And like this movie is aware of it and like has a conversation in which these characters talk about as children, they could not go here and now that they're adults, they can go wherever they want and they can include it like and they can go running around abandoned warehouses if they want to. This is a movie in which the characters have a conversation in which they talk about how as kids they were banned from going places. Yeah. And now that they're adults, they can run around abandoned warehouses in the city if they want. <laughs> like, it's and they, aware and of they it. went to this pool when they were younger, but now they can't. Like It's aware of it, yeah. and it doesn't do anything interesting with it. And I think that's a little disappointing. I agree. I think that's all. Um, I hear you. This is a very smart movie. I, I guess it's interesting that it brings it up, even though it doesn't address it. It's a it's a great movie. I just uh, wish that everyone in it wasn't white. Like, yeah. it's just, it wouldn't have been that hard. Yep. No, totally. So yeah, It Follows, an amazing movie. Highly recommend it. Absolutely. I'm really glad the viewers chose it, because I... I wanted to watch it and talk about it. I hadn't seen it in about a year. Yeah. And I'm really glad that I rewatch it, and I'm really glad we got to talk about it. Me too. Uh, I really love it. Me too. Uh, so, it's October. That's the spooky month. We're doing all kinds of spooky stuff. Uh... Our next episode, we're not, we're going to, we're going to forego the roulette again. Fuck the roulette. Fuck the roulette. It listen, is, listen. It has led us astray many times. All it does is lead us astray. That's it, not true. It we brings have, us so much suffering. I have loved a few of our movies. Sure. We're 36 episodes in. <laughs> I'd say 30 of those are bad movies. Yeah, probably. Um, but we're, so we're, we're foregoing it again. And uh, our October 24th episode is going to be Curse of Chucky. Curse of Chucky is the sixth movie in the Child's Play franchise uh, about Chucky the Haunted Doll. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you may ask yourself, why this movie? Why would we pick this? We're not going to the roulette. We're choosing a sixth movie in a horror franchise. Uh, It's real good. It is the best Child's Play movie, in my opinion, other than the original. Liz hasn't seen it. I've only Uh, seen the original. And uh, it's on Netflix. And in fact, the seventh movie in the Child's Play franchise... Yeah, there's a new one coming out. Just came out uh, on Netflix this past week. Uh, Cult of Chucky. So now that there's a Child's Play to Netflix pipeline, we're going to talk about Curse of Chucky, which I really, really loved when I saw it. I haven't seen it in a couple of years now. I'm excited to rewatch it. I'm excited too. I'm excited for you to see it. I was real skeptical of Chucky before we watched Child's Play. Isn't Child's Play a dope movie? It's amazing. No, I mean, I was just like, I'm not going to get scared of like a dumb doll running around. I was just like, this doll, animatronic doll is not going to be scary. It's just going to be corny as hell. But it was actually awesome in Child's Play. It's so much better than one would expect. So if you're like me and you are cynical about... Uh, CGI in horror movies, uh, Child's Play is actually worth your time. So I'm excited to talk about it. So that'll be us in two weeks talking about Curse of Chucky. Uh, I highly recommend it. I'm, I'm sure that there's listeners here who haven't seen the sixth movie, the Child's Play franchise, but have seen Child's Play. Uh, go watch it. It's on Netflix. It's better than you think it is. <laughs> and I'm really excited to talk about it. In the meantime, you can find us on our website, SalScreaming.com. As well as on Facebook, on Twitter, at Now Screaming. Don't forget to rate and review uh, and leave us uh, some some stars on on iTunes and uh, wherever you listen to podcasts. And tell your friends. You know, it's it's that, it's Spooktober. And so it's time. I'm seeing a lot of people on social media asking for horror movie recommendations and things like that. We got them. We got them. We got those wrecks. We have more negative than positive. But, you know, like, if you've got a friend who says, like, what can I watch on Netflix? We have we've got several... You know, positive positive experiences you can have watching movies on Netflix. And listen, if not, they can have a positive experience listening to us talk about it. Yeah, for real. We try to have fun <laughs> on this podcast, even though we're besieged by crap. And as always, thank you to Wes Craven for making films in the tradition of smart atmospheric horror films that this is now, and Fellows is now proudly joining the tradition of. Yep. Things like Nightmare on Elm Street that uh, have thoughtful things to say. Have thoughtful things to say. He paved the way. He's 
the best. As we always, love we love you. We love you. Pour one out. All right. Keep being spooky, everybody. See yeah, you soon. Stay spooky. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.